This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. My co-host, once again, is A.J. Scholes, who's a great follow at A.J. Scholes 24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, folks, we begin our sixth season with me hosting this pod, and it's AJ's fifth as my co-host. It'll be a very different regular season from any that either of us has worked together on in the past. Our longtime listeners will notice one obvious change to our broadcast, as we will now have a video to go along with our audio recording, so we've got to look our best as well as sound our best, partner. You'll, fi- you'll find that on YouTube this season. You can still find us in the usual audio format if you want to listen as you did in the past, if you want to do so while driving or running, running, etc. We'll tweet out all the links each week so you don't miss out in any format. AJ, please tell our listeners about this YouTube platform that we'll be using and where to find it. Yeah, so Rotowire as a whole is moving towards having some more of these uh, podcasts available in video format. Uh, you know, we understand that a lot of people, uh, that's how they consume uh, things now. So we're doing a lot more video stuff. Definitely check out the Rotowire YouTube, YouTube channel. That's where you'll find things like our NBA podcasts, our NFL podcasts. Um, everything's going to be there. There'll be some shorter form stuff. Obviously, Paul and I like to ramble here. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we end up a little bit long, but um, there will be some short form stuff for a variety of, of sports content and all that's available on the Rotowire YouTube channel. Well, it looks like we're headed for a shorter season than usual. So it's going to feature likely a, an all Canadian division, which I'm very excited about. It's going to be incredible ratings on TV in this country, AJ. The country stops on Saturday night when Toronto Montreal match up, for instance. But there's going to be really interest, intriguing matchups all the way across the board in this division. That's, I'm really excited to see it go forward. But I'm kind of curious to see how the 24 U.S.-based teams shake down. I'm sure it's going to have a regional feel to it, but there's a couple of teams that are going to be uh, shifted maybe outside their time zones a little bit. I'm thinking about Dallas, maybe St. Louis, not uh, playing too many games in their time zones as they're used to. So uh, what do you got to say about all of this uh, from where you sit? Yeah, I mean, I'm also excited, you know, being being down here in the States, anytime you get the Canadian teams matched up. So I, I'm actually really excited for that as well. I think it's going to create some great matchups. The thing I really like about the the Canadian division, and, and Paul, you're, you'll probably disagree with me a little bit here, but I think it's wide open. I think there's uh, a number of teams that could win a Canadian division or finish in the, the top three or top four, depending on what the playoff format is. Obviously, Paul, you think the Leafs are a lock to win, but uh, you know that may not be the case for 
for the rest of it. And as far as the U.S. divisions go, yeah, I think the biggest one is it does sound like St. Louis is going to be in like a Pacific, I don't know what they're going to call them, but relatively a Pacific division uh, loop there. Although the one thing with California's current restrictions, like San Jose really can't play uh, in their arena right now. I don't know how far that'll that'll progress. That's what has the 49ers playing currently uh, in Arizona. Same kind of restrictions there. So it's possible that a team like San Jose is actually playing further to the east. Um, and maybe that cuts down on some travel time. The other big one, obviously close to home for me, uh, is that there was talk at one point that, you know, Pittsburgh and Washington would be in one division and the Flyers would be in another. And that just doesn't make sense. Let's be honest. Now, uh, the Flyers have gotten better and better over the last couple of years. I don't really want to play them, you know, <laughs> nine, ten times in a season anymore. Um, but those are just great matchups, great TV rating. Uh, so I, I do think they have to keep some of those groups together. So you didn't wait very long to get your first shot across the bow saying that I was a leaf <laughs> homer on this podcast. Fans of this pod will know that you're equally as, as such for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But I'm going to bet with my head instead of my heart, as I always do in these pods, AJ. And you may be surprised by the way I, I lay out my division uh, standings, which we will do the Canadian division first. So the suspense will only last a week or so. But I'm pretty sure you've got the Penguins locked in at number one, no matter what the division <laughs> is that they're in. So there's my re return of serve. Uh, but before we go in, get into the nuts and bolts of today's podcast, we got another bit of news, AJ, and that's a new sponsor. Please introduce that uh, sponsor to our listening audience. Absolutely. Well, we are happy to welcome BetMGM as a new uh, sponsor of the podcast, a new Rotowire partner. Uh, sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insight. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789 if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Thanks very much, buddy. Great job on that read. Okay, uh, AJ, let's take a look at the biggest single, uh, biggest signings and player movements by each club this offseason, beginning with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, it looks to me like Kevin Shattenkirk has uh, parlayed the last couple of seasons of bouncing around in a very nice contract for himself. He's got a, a multi-year deal signed up here and a cup ring to go with it. Uh, played a significant role in the Lightning's Cup run. I'm happy with the for him uh, that he's taken advantage of the situation and uh, made this signing uh, look like a real good deal for himself. I, I wonder... If you think there are any other uh, notable issues there in, in Anaheim, but it's one team that didn't do a lot in the offseason. They've got uh, 
their cap in order, though. One of the few teams that is marginally over the cap. They'll have to do a little bit of tinkering, minor. So, but there are a couple of teams that we'll take a look at uh, later on in these uh, this list, where the teams are well over the the, the cap, including the one that you're going to bring uh, bring us up to date on, the Arizona Coyotes, sitting there about two million dollars over the cap. But what did they do in the offseason notable to your eyes? Yeah, so just, uh, you know, some quick thoughts on Anaheim. I, I think Kevin Shattenkirk is their big addition. Really, this is just a club that's kind of waiting to see if some of these younger guys can make that next step forward. You're talking about guys like Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Max Jones, even Sonny Milano. Uh, he's been around a little bit longer, but really it's kind of a wait and see. And they added um, a pretty big piece on on defense. They've got the netminder and John Gibson. There's no concerns there. So um, it's just a matter of development. They've done the drafting, and now they have to see if these guys are going to develop. And, and that's really the big hiccup um, for them to see what they can do. You mentioned, yeah, we'll talk about Arizona next. Obviously, the departure of Taylor Hall um, is never a good thing for them. They did add um, what I would call relatively minor pieces in guys like Tyler Pitlick, John Hayden, Dryden Hunt, Johan Larson. Um, but again, no big signings here. Uh, perhaps their biggest uh, acquisition was was not trading away Oliver Ekman Larson. I know things haven't always been a fit there with him, but keeping him, I think, is better than than not, in, in my opinion. And Paul, you mentioned it. They are the team most over the cap right now, um, based on our, our friends at Cap Friendly. They're looking at 84 million in terms of the cap hit. So there's got to be a move somewhere, and they actually only have 22 guys under contract. Now that could be one short-term fix for them that they just carry 22 guys at the start of the year. Um, you know, the cap in hockey is actually calculated daily. It's a little bit of a of a you know complicated system there. Um, they also have Marion Hosa that they still have his contract, so the LTIR. So they they actually might be okay. I'm. I would have to double check and see if they're using that, but I, I think that's going to be what gets them there. So they're actually probably okay and might even be able to add that that 23rd uh, roster spot just by having that LTIR uh, from Marion Hosa. Well, you mentioned the captain, Oliver Ekman Larson. He's carrying an $8.25 million cap hit for the next several years, age 29 season coming up. And he's locked up for the next five seasons after this one. So his name's been in the news, though, AJ, along with the Boston Bruins. If they pivot away from Zdeno Chara, they may be a team that comes calling on on, Anna, on Arizona to see if they'd be willing to trade their captain and maybe have him replace the uh, retiring Boston captains if, uh, if Chara decides to, to hang them up. From what I hear, we'll get to Boston in a minute. There's some news there in that circumstance as well that may impact his decision. But, uh, A.J., I, I think that's one situation where Arizona may have to contemplate biting the bullet because they are the, the team that's the highest above the cap, and so they got to look at a, perhaps a significant move. LTIR might help them, but if it doesn't, you can bet that uh, taking a serious look at the, at the big contract of their captain is an issue. And speaking of the Boston Bruins, they have a couple of other injury issues uh, in the uh, off-season that they're dealing with. David Pasternak had off-season surgery. He won't be ready to start the season, but they acted proactively and they signed Craig Smith to a multi-year contract. He was a career uh, right winger in, in uh, Nashville for the past nine seasons he's been toiling there in relative anonymity. This guy is one of those plug-and-play guys, been a second-line type, but he's going to be thrust into first-line duty if Pasternak is late to the start. 
that's that's why they're bringing him in uh, to be a heavy hitter in the top six in any case, but he might get the premium assignment on that big top line. Greg McCaig is another guy that came over to boost the bottom six. Other than that, the Bruins really uh, may be looking at tinkering around the edges, but uh, a significant move might be necessary if Zdeno Chara decides to hang them up. He's just waiting to see how uh, things unfold in terms of the scheduling and whether there's a hub city involved. And he, he wants to be really careful about uh, diving back into the fray uh, at 43 years of age. He doesn't need to do this anymore. It's pretty simple. He's got to be happy with the environment that he's headed toward in this this uh, shortened season. And uh, he's going to take a long look at things. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out, AJ. Any hunches at your end on that issue? Yeah, I think they're they're probably going to get him back. Is my guess. I, I just feel like it. You know, it maybe hasn't ended the way they wanted to. Uh, look, if if Boston were to have lifted the cup last year, the year before, or you know, even next year, I think then we'll see Big Z kind of walk off into the sunset. But uh, you know, one more shot at it. Like you said, they've got Marchant and Bergeron still around, so their their window is still open. So I would be a little surprised if he walked away. So I imagine. They will have him back. Uh, you know, the couple of teams we've talked about so far, not big movers or shakers uh, so far this season in terms of offseason additions. That's not the case with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, they went big. They got Taylor Hall in there, uh, even the Tobias Reeder uh, acquisition as well. Uh, and then Matt Irwin as a, a kind of deft defenseman. Look, it, it was interesting to listen. We kept hearing over and over. Taylor Hall's not going to take a one-year deal, not going to take a one-year deal. That's That was what was coming out of their camp um, because they wanted that that long-term, and, and things just didn't work out with the flat cap and everything. Uh, he's certainly still getting paid one year, $8 million to, to go play in Buffalo. Um, but I do think um, I would be surprised if he re-signs there. I think this is a one-year deal. He could get kind of the most money he could out of, out of the Sabres. He'll play, put up big numbers again. You know, maybe playing with Eichel will will do something for him, but I would be surprised if this is more than just a one-year. Hey, look at how great I am now! Somebody give me somebody else, rather give me a big contract. Yeah, he's uh, certainly put himself out there this way, but he's put himself out there in a really good situation. There's no doubt that he's going to partner with Eichel to form one of the more dynamic-looking uh, duos in the league, uh, at least on paper to start the season. And that could be bad news for a couple other guys that have been in the top six there, particularly Jeff Skinner. And he's locked up for $9 million over the next several years, too. So that could be a bit of an albatross-type contract uh, for this season anyway, if Taylor Hall does take Skinner's spot on that top line so remains to be seen but uh, other than that they did tinker around the edges very very in a very small way and uh, locked in our two goalies that are nondescript at best in Hutton and Allmark and uh, that might hurt this club uh, in, in this shortened season they're veteran goalies but neither one of them in, inspires me too too much AJ if I can be blunt uh, Carolina Hurricanes is a team that has had a couple of really good playoff runs recently and uh, they didn't do much in terms of name recognition types added to the roster this offseason. Jesper Fast might be the biggest name of all of them, and a guy who they hope will combine with several other European-born uh, stars in their roster in their top six. Otherwise, it's Drew Shore and Joachim Ryan who are fitting in in terms of uh, depth roles on this roster. Uh, but they've got a lot of pieces in place, AJ, to, to be a serious contender, no matter which division they play in, I think. Yeah, I really like the Jasper Fast acquisition. 
I mean, you look at this third line now, it's it's a little more stabilized than what they've had in the past. You've got Jordan Stahl as your third line center, Jasper Fast uh, as, as your right winger. Left wing could be uh, a bit of a rotation. Ryan Zingo could be in the mix there, Warren Fogle as well. Um, but to have kind of those two guys that I think will anchor their third line, I, I really like that acquisition for them. I don't think there was a lot that they needed to do. Um, Calgary, on the other hand, had a lot of work to do, and, and they certainly did it um, basically by raiding Vancouver. Uh, they got Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Josh Levo, spent a cup of coffee there as well. So uh, they really went big on, on a couple of guys. Then some other depth guys, uh, Joachim Nordstrom, Dominic Simone, Nikita Nesterov is going to come back um, from, from overseas. And so uh, a lot of real big additions at, at some major you know spots on this team. Obviously, Markstrom comes in to potentially be the number one over over Riddich. Tanev figures to maybe be maybe top pairing, second pairing. I actually like the idea of having him uh, with Giordano on a on a top pair. I think it'll really fear, uh, free up Mark Giordano to jump up in the play. So, yeah, a lot a lot of moves by them um, to really kind of help build around. You know, they've they've got the core that's been there a little bit longer with you know Gaudreau, Monahan. They've got the up-and-coming core kind of guys with with Tuchuk and Dylan Dubé. Uh, and so I really think it's it's kind of coming all together for them. That this will be a difficult team to play against with these new acquisitions. Yeah, I love what they did in net with Markstrom. I think he was the best free agent goalie acquisition by any club in the NHL. Surprised, really, that Vancouver uh, saw fit to let him go and uh, letting him go to a, a Canadian-based rival. That could come back to haunt them regularly this season. And I agree with your call on Chris Tanev. He's going to be a very nice fit, replacing TJ Brody on that first deep pairing with Giordano. One guy that you didn't mention too, too much is Dominic Simone, a guy that you're familiar with because of your fandom. But I think once he gets healthy, he's dealing with a bit of a shoulder nick uh, at this point, but he should be ready early on in the season. And he, he could threaten for uh, to support a top six role if any of their top six guys go down. Maybe he even replaces Andrew Majupani uh, on the left side of, of the second line uh, if he has a good uh, start to his season. So that's a couple of situations we can look forward to early on. The Chicago Blackhawks, this is a team that kind of did their makeover on the fly. They had to change things up on their roster they, because of salary cap restrictions, but I think they've done a pretty nice job, and they can, their work continued this offseason with the signings of Matthias Janmark, Nikita Zadorov, and Lucas Walmark. I really like the Zadorov signing. He adds a lot of bite to their back end, a big defenseman who can hit and can is very mobile. So that's an area where they needed some, some work to be done, and I think he's going to benefit from a little extra ice time, more responsibility here. I think that's a guy to keep an eye on on the back end in, in, in uh, Chicago. Well, I'm really surprised that they weren't a bigger player in the in the goalie market. I, I'm really, really shocked that they're going to enter the season with with Malcolm Subban and, and Colin D'Elia as, as the two options there. But, um, you know, the, the season hasn't started. Maybe there's, you know, something in the works as far as a trade or, or something. But, yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised that that's the, the tandem that they're going to go with. But, um, yeah, to your point, the, the other kind of, um, you know, depth pieces, maybe Zatarouse, not really depth, but um yeah to kind of you know rejigger on the fly for for lack of a better term uh columbus uh had kind of one big move in, in bringing in max dome there uh they did also sign miko koivu and really kind of changed up the look of of their center position you know part of that comes from brandon dubinsky for all intents and purposes i think is done due to that wrist injury 
Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, you know, more details once camps open up, but I'd be shocked if he plays again. So now, you know, you're looking at uh, PLD, Pierre-Luc Dubois as number one, Dome Koivu uh, as the two and three. And so I, I really like uh, kind of how they've built from the middle. I think there's still some deficiencies with this team. We'll get into that in our, our previews, but uh, two solid acquisitions in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, in terms of Pierre-Luc Dubois, he is unsigned. He was a restricted free agent, but they've got about $9 million bucks to spend, and I'm sure he's going to come in under that. So no cap issues uh, really for this team. they got one roster spot. He's going to fill it, so not no concerns there. But uh, I got enough of a look at this team in the playoffs last year as they ousted my club in the first round, I, and I really liked what I saw in terms of the makeup of the club. They're very well coached. As everybody knows, they've got a really nice tandem in the Nets there with Merce Lincolns and Corpusello. So lots to be looking forward to for the Columbus fans. And speaking of lots to look forward to, Colorado, this team looks like it's loaded for bear. And they made a couple of really smart acquisitions, I think, in the offseason, too, with a deal that brought in Brendan Saad from the Blackhawks. And Devin Taves was a signing from the Islanders to bolster an already decent-looking defense. So I think Colorado is primed to be one of the top contenders in, in uh, whatever con- whatever division they play in uh, going forward because they have a lot of talent on this roster, and they just added some some nice pieces with the moves that I I outlined. AJ, what do you think about any of the moves and or the way this team looks at the moment? Well, they certainly had to give up a lot to to get Taze. Uh, you know, a, a couple second round picks in in future drafts, but I think he's totally going to be worth it. I that might be one of the best trades uh, of the off season. I, I really like uh, that acquisition for them. They've got a really dynamic group of of defensemen here now. And that doesn't even include a guy like uh, Bowen Byram, you know, who may uh, may or may not make the team this year, depending. Um, I, I really love this D core. Um, it, it might be the best defensive core in the league. I, I, you know, I haven't really fully dove into to 100% back that statement, but I, I'll firmly say it's top three, if, if, if not number one. So um, I, I think that was a great acquisition. They signed him to a long-term deal after uh, trading for him. So I think it'll it'll be a good fit for Dallas. A uh, pretty quiet offseason here, really. Um, they did re-sign Anton Kudobin, uh, so that that's a good good situation for them. But uh, Mark Pissick, really the only acquisition that they really truly made. Um, and I don't think they needed a, a lot of tweaks and, and changes here. Um, they just kind of need everything to come together a little bit better. And and I think. Um, that, that's about it for them. <laughs> well, I love the way this team looks on paper, AJ. They're, they've got a really nice offensive mix led by the likes of Sagan and Ben. but uh, And, and Radulov, can't forget about him, really the heart and soul of their offense. And But they've added a couple of pieces in recent years. Denis Gurionov is one guy that I really like that fits into their top six as well. Rupe Hintz, uh, another guy. And they've locked these guys up for cheap contracts for the next couple of years. You need to get those contracts right on the young up-and-comers with bridge deals, and uh, they did a nice job there. But this is another team that's predicated on defense first, uh, and and I like the depth that they have uh, in this group. There's no fewer than eight guys that I would trust with, with regular minutes. Pissick being added to that mix, but don't be surprised that they use him in an offensive role. He, he thrived in Florida when he was moved up to the wing. So if this is a team that goes with... with uh, 
four lines, this guy could see some time, maybe even in the same game at forward and, and defense, to, to provide a little bit of security at both in both ranks. But uh, depth in goal is good and uh, solid-looking depth forward on defense. In Detroit, this team had to be active in the offseason, AJ. They were at the bottom of the league pretty much in the standings and uh, lots of room for improvement. And they uh, they did spend some money in the offseason to bring in some name recognition types. In goal, a key acquisition, Thomas Grice should solidify things back there, but yeah, he better invest in a lot of a lot of tape and bandages because he's going to be getting a lot of bruises and, and cuts for the pucks that he's going to face this season in the rubber factory that is the defensive end in Detroit. Bobby Ryan... Uh, feel good story off the ice, getting his life together, and uh, but coming off a big cap hit, Ottawa had to part company with him, and Detroit got him for cheap, and uh, he'll figure to be a top six player there. Troy Stetcher, a nice acquisition on the blue line, should factor into the top two defensive pairings there. Good mobility uh, in him, but and they further bolstered their back end with the additions of veteran Mark Stahl and John Merrill. Vlad Nemesnikov is another forward who should contend for a top six role. So there's a lot of player movement into the fold in Detroit that should improve their lot this season. But uh, there's still a lot of heavy lifting to be done, AJ, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say I think the Bobby Ryan deal may have been the best signing of by any team uh, this offseason. You're talking about a guy uh, who went second overall in, in his draft class. Yes, there have been some off-ice issues, but, you know, really, you look at his production, and he's had pretty consistent numbers. I mean, yeah, he's not getting the 60, 70 points he did when he was with Anaheim earlier in his career, um, but in a full regular season, I think he's still fully capable of being a 40 to 50-point guy. Now, this year, if it's a little shorter, maybe you're looking at, at 30 points, but I think you'd be super happy to get 30 points off a guy that you signed a one-year, $1 million contract for. I mean, I, I think it's a steal, um, for them and and really a good move overall, um, you know, for, for the Red Wings there. In terms of Edmonton, uh, they also took advantage. Look, we've seen this happen a couple years in a row now. A guy gets bought out by his previous team, so he's not necessarily looking for a big dollar contract. Uh, that was the case with Bobby Ryan. And in Edmonton, that's what happened with Kyle Turris, who signs a two-year $3.3 million contract to go play in Edmonton. I mean, again, that's another one. If it doesn't really work out, um, you didn't have to break the bank. You're not committed to him really long term. Um, so so I love that signing as well. He'll anchor probably their third, uh, third line center position, and, and I think it'll be a really good fit for them. They also brought in Tyson Berry, Dominic Cahoon, Jesse Pugliarvi is going to come back from overseas and, and uh, so they, you know, they got another power play guy, I think, in, in Tyson Berry. Obviously, you saw a, a good amount of him last year. Uh, Dominic Cahoon is a player that that I really like. Uh, I was bummed that the Penguins couldn't keep him around. And then, again, Pugliarvi, a relatively low risk. If it doesn't work out again, uh, so be it. But but I think it will. And and so I, I really like I know it sound, I sound like a broken record. Oh, I like this acquisition, this acquisition. But um, <laughs> these were some some of the better deals, uh, uh, I think, that, that were made this offseason. You know what? Tyson Berry has a chance to rehabilitate his career after a downer in Toronto. AJ, I saw too much of this guy floundering around, when he was surrounded by a lot of high-end talent. He just didn't make good on it. He was given the first, the range to a first-line uh, first, uh, role on a power play that featured some 
some of the top shooters in the NHL when you think about the Leaf roster and the top six that they offer. And he didn't really take advantage of it. And I wonder if his fortune will be better with surrounded by Dreisaitl and McDavid and company there. So that remains to be seen. You mentioned about Cahoon. He could be a nice surprise, could fit anywhere in the top uh, couple of lines if he gets a shot. He did get a couple of cups of coffee with Pittsburgh in those roles and did well from time to time. Torres is a guy that I have a lot of time for dating back to his years as a world-class junior hockey player. He's way, way past that now as he's in, into his early 30s, I think. And uh, he's bounced around a little bit in terms of opportunities up and down different rosters. And this might be a last chance saloon for him with a shot to do well in a third line role uh, in a talented roster like Edmonton. But Puyarvi is a guy that I think I'm most intrigued by what to expect from him. He was, the, I believe, in the top three of his draft year, AJ, a couple of years ago. And really things didn't pan out. It was uh, part of the run the Oilers had of winning the, the draft line lottery almost every year this was one that they didn't win but still getting a top pick and this guy just didn't pan out he went back home and he had a couple of good seasons to kind of rehabilitate his outlook and uh, will be given a shot to prove that he still has something in the tank uh, as a talent in uh, in that mix in Edmonton but uh, we'll re- we'll see what look what the outlook is as the season unfolds there for him. The in Florida, this is a team that uh, did a lot of mo- moves in the off season. Uh, veteran Radko Gudis bolsters the defense, gives them some bite back there. Vinny Hinostrosa is a guy that could contend for a second line center role. Patrick Hornquist is a guy that you know a little bit about from his time in Pittsburgh, an agitator who can be a uh, a role player on a power play here and maybe the be the net front presence. So keep an eye on that circumstance for him. Alex Wenberg, Carter Verhage, Ryan Lombard, Marcus Nudevera. These are all depth guys. Nudevera will be a depth defenseman on this team. Might get a shot at second pairing, but in all likelihood lower than that. Uh, but uh, tinkering around the edges, but beefing up the toughness with Hornquist and Gudis is the key factor that I know with the Florida moves. Yeah, absolutely. You look at a team that's going to play a lot, a lot tougher, um, a lot grittier and, and, and be that, you know, that hard to beat team um, from that standpoint. So uh, I, you know, the one, the Wenberg deal is a little bit um, concerning to me. You know, he is just 26 years of age. It's only a one year deal, um, but his numbers have just steadily declined the last few seasons. Uh, after kind of peaking back in 2016-17 with, with 59 points there, has only topped the 10-goal mark once in his career. And this is the guy right now, um, by all accounts, is going to you know center your second line. So a, a little bit confounding there to me. I, I don't love the addition. If they brought him in to be a third-line center, maybe it makes more sense, but not, not as their second-line center. Um, so I, I, I think there's some concerning deals here or maybe misses, rather, that that could have been uh, contracts elsewhere. In terms of uh, the LA Kings, uh, their biggest acquisition this offseason was was Ole Mata. Um, I, I, this is another one that that confounds a little bit here. You know, the, the trade um, that they did was kind of more of a salary dump for the, the Blackhawks. I'm a little surprised LA didn't get more back um, for taking on the, the Mata contract here. He's just not, I mean, it just... He's slowed down to the point that it, it's hard to, you know, really trust him um, to, to pair up anywhere. And, and with their lineup right now, you might be putting him with with Drew Doughty. Uh, Mata did have some decent seasons early in his career playing alongside Chris Letang. Um, but that didn't work out a lot. And he's only gotten a, a, a little bit slower and, and 
he's not the the fastest skater so i i'm not sure that that'll really pan out for them long term so uh if if there's a deal that uh, i didn't really like for this <laughs> for a team it's it's definitely this one now for them we'll get in it, into it more but this is another wait and see team you got to see how some of their younger guys develop and and so that's why they weren't really being active on the on the market i think well you mentioned not being active they along with florida i forgot to mention that both teams have four roster spots open in terms of meeting the 23 man uh, limit if they want to in terms of pro contract signed they're each sitting there with 19 players the, the kings have spent 67 million so they got about 13 or 14 million dollars to spend there's some notable free agents still out there so they may still take a swing at a couple of those names um i mean uh, if you look at the list there's uh, a couple of guys that are intriguing enough for me to think they might be interested in Mikhail Granlund. They might be interested in Asami Vatnin to bolster their defense if they want to. So there's a couple of Mike Hoffman is another name that's out there. There's a couple of guys who could really help this team if they want to take a shot at spending some of that money. It remains to be seen whether they will or not. So that's uh, that's the curious thing for me in an otherwise quiet offseason for the Kings. In Minnesota, they were a little bit quieter than some teams, but they did do some damage, more than the last two that we covered, and that's adding in, in the Nets, Cam Talbot, who will get another chance to be a first-string goalie in this league. Marcus Johansson cashed in big to uh, hopefully uh, continue his career as a top-six forward. Nick Bonino is a guy that will challenge for a top-six uh, role at center. Nick Bugstad needs to rehab a couple of down seasons in the past couple of years in Pittsburgh that didn't really work out, and he gets a chance to find some, some work in Minnesota in a team that has some opportunities in their top nine for sure, maybe even top six. Yeah, the thing with Bugstad is really he's got to stay healthy. I mean, that's been the biggest problem with kind of trying to find a way to to gel um, with Pittsburgh is he just could not stay healthy. He could not stay in the lineup for a while. So that's that's obviously going to be, um, you know, the the deal for him. I, I like the Cam Talbot signing. If you get the the Cam Talbot that played 73 games and, and racked up a whole bunch of wins, you're going to be real happy about that. If he struggles a little bit, then, you know, it'll give you an opportunity to, you know, do you want to go Alex Stalock for, for a couple of years, or is it time to go to Capo Kakonen uh, and kind of transition to the future? So I, I think it's a good signing to kind of bridge that gap of, of where they are in terms of an organization and, and their future uh, between the pipes. Montreal, uh, we talked about Max Dome went one way. Uh, Josh Anderson was the piece that comes back. Uh, they also have Tyler Toffoli. Uh, they brought in Joel, uh, Joel Edmondson uh, to kind of bolster that blue line. And then uh, the one move that I was a little confounded about early on was was Jake Allen, um, only because that's a lot of money to be spending on your two netminders here. I mean, uh, when you've got a flat cap coming in and you're going to commit almost, uh, you know, almost 15 million on your two netminders, uh, I was a little surprised by that move. Um but if we're looking at a condensed schedule, playing multiple games in back-to-back -back night formats, it, it definitely makes sense um, to have two really, you know, Terry Price is the number one. I, I, I think it would be a disservice to call Jake Allen a 1B only because of how good Carey Price is. Um, but in, in most teams, I would say Jake Allen's probably your, your 1B. Um, so, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I think it's a good deal. At the time, I was maybe not so sure about it. 
Uh, the one thing with the the Josh Anderson acquisition is I, I feel like they're getting a little bit stacked up on on the right wing. You know, you can move Tyler Toffoli over to the left wing, but you do have Yoel Armia, Arturi Lekkinen. You know, obviously, Brandon Gallagher is going to be your number one uh, there. So I, I'm not really sure who's going to fit where and, and what their second versus their third line is going to look like. But overall, um, I, I like bringing in the player, especially if, you know, Max Dome just wanted, you know, wanted out um, to get Josh Anderson and, and not have to worry about Dome uh, and, you know, what he's thinking, I, I think makes sense. Looking at the Canadians roster, I got to take a shot here, AJ. Uh, you know, you know, I'm I'm chopping it a bit to do that. But Jonathan Drouin and Josh Anderson are the top two guys at forward in terms of the salary cap hits. Drouin, we know about his struggles in Montreal the last couple of years. Josh Anderson comes into the fold here after an injury-plagued season. Sure, he looked okay in the playoffs, but what he did in the regular season for them last year should be a bit of a concern for for Montreal fans. One goal, four points. 26 games played. I'll leave that there. And then in terms of Josh Allen, uh, Jake Allen, rather, in the Nets, uh, the other consideration, AJ, is at the end of the year, the Seattle draft takes place, and the Canadians have to expose a player. Jake Allen will be definitely one of those players that gets exposed, and it may turn Seattle's attention away from some of the depth that the Canadians have acquired on defense particularly, and uh, to a certain extent on offense. So that could be another consideration for why Montreal did go that route. Uh, in terms of signing an expensive backup goalie. In New Jersey, this is a team that had a lot of money to spend. They didn't spend a lot of it, but the, the key acquisition that they did was a trade with the Maple Leafs in acquiring Andreas Johnson. He was not going to be a top six player in Toronto with the depth the Leafs have, but he certainly gets that role and then some in New Jersey. Could be a guy that they build some of that offense around going forward. Up front, uh, Dmitry Kulikov bolsters a defense that needs some work to be done. Ryan Murray is a former first-round draft pick that will certainly also get a chance to play there as well. The surprising move for me was uh, inking Corey Crawford to a signing here. When I thought that they were going to finally give Mackenzie Blackwood the reins in the nets, it looks like now he's going to have to battle Crawford for playing time. It's a pretty nice one-two situation, and maybe Mackenzie Blackwood learns a little bit from the two-time Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, let's not forget to, to what you just said, Paul, that the Seattle draft is right around the corner uh, Crawford's on a two-year deal, so he could be potentially the guy that they expose there, although they do have uh, Scott Wedgwood as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense to me, I think, overall, in, in terms of bringing in a guy, uh, a veteran guy like that, that can maybe take the reins if you need him to or can, uh, you know, kind of uh, transition over to, to Blackwood, you know, full-time moving forward. For the Nashville Predators... Uh, you've got mostly a couple of depth ac- acquisitions, I-, I would say. you got Mark Borowicki, uh, Matt Benning, Nick Cousins, and Brad Richardson. Um, Richardson maybe the, the one guy that when you know, fully fit could-, could push for a top six role, but I think you know, your one-two center punch is pretty solidified in Ryan Johansson and, and Matt Duchesne here. Um, I do like them getting Luke Kunin as part of the, the Benino deal. I think he'll have a chance to play a bigger role on, on this team. Uh, and, of course, you know, they just had to tinker with the blue line a little bit. Their top four is pretty pretty much solid with, with you know, Yossi, Ellis, uh, Ekholm, and, and Dante Fabro. So they didn't need to do a lot, I don't think. Um, you know, maybe they there's been some rumblings that maybe they would be in 
Um, for for a guy like uh, you know Jonathan Marchessault, if if he's going to get traded away by Vegas, or, or maybe even Mark Stone, so um, maybe they're they're in on on one of those kind of cap dump moves. And they do have some money to spend too, so we'll see if they get active in that regard, AJ. But I'm intrigued with the goalie situation. Pekarini, the longtime incumbent as the starter, was challenged for that role at times last year. With UC Saros taking a big step forward. And maybe he he gets the lion's share of the goaltending mix going forward. But at best, it looks like a 50-50 split in there. And uh, look, behind that stout defense, they're going to be well protected. I think that's the this is a team one of the teams we talked about it last year. And I don't think things change. They could be one of the teams that actually protect four defensemen again going forward this season in terms of that uh, expansion draft upcoming. In New York, uh, New York Islanders circumstance, not too much in terms of free agent work. Dimitro Timoshov was just acquired recently in a trade where uh, Lou Lamorello knows something about uh, this guy from his time in Toronto. And he was in Detroit uh, last season after a trade from with the Leafs, but gets a shot to reunite with his former GM uh, that drafted him. And uh, I think there's some something there that tells me that Timoshov will get a long look with the Islanders to see if he can crack uh, the top nine forwards, let's say. But there's a lot of excitement around the other guy that is uh, going to make his debut on the, on the island, and that's Ilya Sorokin, a highly regarded goalie prospect, one of the best uh, outside of the NHL last season. And I'm curious to see how he fits in to the outlook uh, going forward. They do have a little bit of money to spend as well. So maybe they're not done in terms of all the work that, that uh, needed to be done in the offseason. And AJ, that that probably is more intriguing to me than anything that else that they did uh, in the offseason. Yeah, the Sorokin, uh, I'll call it signing, you know, convincing him to come over, I guess, would be. Um, the good way to phrase that, I, I think, is going to be the most intriguing thing to watch with this team heading into the uh, the upcoming season and, and really training camp to see, uh, are they going to do the split kind of thing they've done the last couple of years? Uh, is either one of these guys, Varlamov or Sorokin, going to you know kind of take over and, and really take the reins? I, I expect at most we'll see a 60-40 split with this team, but... Uh, you never know if if one if either one of these guys gets hot, it it, it could skew one way or the other. There, uh, the other New York club here, the Rangers. Look, their biggest acquisition was just by winning the draft lottery and getting uh, Alexis Lafreniere uh, in. I can't imagine this guy doesn't end up at a minimum on the second line with with Strom and and Buchnevich, but. He could push uh, for, for the first spot with Zabinajad and, and Chris Kreider as well. Um, although, look, I would be really intrigued to see a line of him on the left, Capocacco on the right. Uh, that would, <laughs> would offer some very uh, intriguing matchup problems, I think, for a lot of other teams. In terms of the other moves that they made here, uh, mostly kind of minor stuff. Jack Johnson, they signed him. Uh, he'll maybe be a third-pairing guy, but they also signed Anthony Boteto. Uh, so I figure they're probably both competing for for one open spot. I'd be surprised if either one of them plays all, you know, 56 games or, or whatever it's going to be that we have. Uh, and then some depth forwards and Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell. But really, again, their biggest acquisition came through the draft. And let's talk about that for a second, AJ. Uh, there's been some talk in, in the offseason about the expansion draft and the lottery portion of it. 
that maybe we should they should do something to really help the lower teams. The Rangers weren't at the bottom of the standings. They won the lottery as a bit of a long shot, and they got the big prize uh, the way it turned out. And uh, some some in some quarters there was a big upset about that outcome. And uh, I mean, it could have been the Penguins. It could have been the Leafs too. That's the kind of teams that he was being offered uh, the chance to play with, just because of the lottery balls falling a certain way. The the bottom eight teams missed out on this guy. Yeah, I mean, I I do think there's maybe um, some discussion worth having. I, you know, the lottery system is supposed to prevent against you know tanking for the sake of of you know trying to get the first overall pick and. Um, I just, I'm not convinced that any team recently has really tried to do that, um, to, you know, improve their odds. And, and it was a weird year with how they structured it. You know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, the Penguins, even though they lost in the, you know, the, the playing round of Montreal, let's be honest, the Penguins should never have had any sort of a chance at getting, uh, Alexis Lafreniere. It, it shouldn't have happened. I'm, you know, I would have loved to have him on our team, but uh, I could certainly uh, understand outrage from other clubs if he has. And and look, you got to look at a club like Detroit that's been bad for several years and they keep getting bumped down and bumped down um, when it comes to the lottery picks. So, that, you know, they they just have had no luck at all the last couple of years. And even the Ottawa Senators, a team that will profile next, they could have been in line for a nice bump if they could have got Lafreniere into their mix. To their credit, though, they did spend a little bit of money. Uh, I was hoping they would do a little bit more, but I like the additions of Evgeny Dodonov up front, and uh, Matt Murray in the Nets signed a big deal to be the the sacrificial lamb in the Nets for this, this season. Can't imagine he's going to enjoy playing in this all-Canadian division with all the, the, the snipers on all the other teams that he'll be facing. Alex Galchenyuk gets a chance to rehab his uh, flagging fortunes with a with a chance to get a, reclaim a top six role here. Excited to see if he takes advantage of that circumstance. Eric Goodbranston uh, should bolster the defense here. Uh, I, I like what they've done retooling the back end, AJ, and all of a sudden they've got some quality there with the likes of Goodbranson and Shabbat anchoring things, but there's still more work to be done on the blue line and uh, there's going to be a lot of competition for those jobs, and, and maybe Ottawa does continue to look around. They are one of the teams that have over $12 million in cap money available to see if they can further bolster that back end and uh, see if they can kind of close ranks on any other club in the Canadian division. I mean, I'll be shocked if they spend any more money. I, you know, their, their ownership has been pretty clear that they were going to be closer to the, the floor than to the ceiling. So, um, yeah, I'd be surprised that if they did that. Um, you know, the, the moves that they have made um, are, are mostly pretty good. I mean, I I hope uh, Tim Stutzley comes in and, and he should be a top six option for them, I, I think, and really help with that. Um, they've got Brady to Chuck, so there's some up-and-comers here. And then to add a guy like Dadnoff um, to be a, a top six guy, Alex Galchenyuk can push for that. Uh, Austin Watson even, I think, could challenge for – for, he should be in the top nine, but I think he could challenge for for top six uh, as well. So they've they've brought in some a couple of guys here in in Murray, Galchenyuk, and Watson, who may be motivated to revitalize their careers a little bit, um, and and maybe they're taking a, a flyer on those guys. But if it works out, then then great, and and you're looking pretty pretty solid. Taking um, a flyer for, on for our those next guys. team, like we'll those. dive into the Flyers. There, um, they. Brought in uh, Eric Gustafsson was kind of their their big acquisition. They also brought in Derek Pouliot, 
Um, other than that, it's been pretty stand pat. You know, they haven't needed the, the net mining help. Their, their forward group has remained largely the same. Uh, so just a couple small acquisitions. Uh, Gustafsson, maybe not a small acquisition. He'll push for top four minutes, but they only paid, uh, you know, one year, $3 million for him. So really not spending uh, a lot of money here. Yeah, that's an intriguing name, though. A couple of years ago, he posted a 60-point season, AJ, but then he went reverted back to career norms. Uh, so you wonder if he still has another breakout season in terms of point production on the back end, but he should fit in very nicely in a top four surrounded by Sanheim, Gostisbehere, and Provorov, at least on paper. And uh, add in the likes of Braun and Hag. That's a pretty nice-looking top six on the back end, uh, retooling the defense on the fly and uh, bolstering. Uh, a pretty solid-looking group of forwards there. So I like the outlook for the Flyers heading into this season. They did solve their goalie conundrum of many years with Carter Hart, too. So I don't think you should be too happy when the Penguins line up against them this year. But speaking of the Penguins, I look at the moves that they made this offseason, and a lot of them, a couple of them, rather, uh, are familiar names to me in terms of Cody Ceci and Kasperi Kapanen. Kapanen was not going to play a first-line role in Toronto anytime soon, but could be a very interesting pick if he gets to play in the top six. And he's, I hear, ticketed for top line possibility with Sidney Crosby. So uh, we might have to figure out a side bet on that one, AJ, <laughs> to see how, how that works out in terms of point production over under. Maybe we could do something like that. We have the annual dollar bet that that's uh, in store. And I'm on a bit of a losing streak. I've lost the last two. So i got to come up with a good one here to get back on the rails, AJ. Uh, Colton Sevier and Michael Matheson, another interesting pick that could fill out a key role in the back end. Uh, but I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about Kasperi Kapanen and Cody Ceci. Where do you think they fit into your team's fortunes this season? Well, Kapanen's going to get the first-line spot. The, the, they said that um, kind of roughly, you know, it kind of came out a little bit that that's what they were doing it when they made the trade. And then in, in interviews since then, uh, uh, Mike Sullivan has said that Kap, uh, Kapanen will be the first line right winger with uh, Sidney Crosby and Jake Gunsel. He, he really fits the mold of the type of player that, that they, that Sidney Crosby wants a, a speedy winger um, who, who can, you know, create space for, for Crosby and everything. So I really think um, that's going to be a, a great, great fit for him. You know, the, the couple of uh, acquisitions, they, they got Evan Rodriguez back after they traded him away Mark Jankowski comes in to maybe take over as the third line center, pushing Jared McCann to the wing. Um, so a, a couple guys that they brought in, um, again, are more low risk uh, acquisitions. It, you know, you hope that they work out, but but if they don't, you didn't pay up real, real significantly. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I hate the Mike Matheson trade. <laughs> I didn't like it at any point. Um, if you're going to dump if you're going to dump Hornquist, it should have been for, for a salary dump, not for a guy that has an equally bad contract. Um, and I like the Cody Ceci signing even less. I, I think um, I would love to have seen them go with Chad Ruedel as the sixth, sixth defenseman. By all accounts, um, he was arguably their best defenseman uh, for, you know, leading up to the, the shutdown, you know, prior to injuries. He was their best, like, shutdown defender. Uh, in in February and in the early part of March. And so I'm not sure why they felt they needed to go out and get Cody Ceci. Uh, Pierre Oliver uh, Joseph is is expected to push for a roster spot and, and could join the team at some point here. So it, it just felt like an unnecessary signing. So uh, the choices on the blue, blue line have been a little confounding to me. 
at this point. Uh, obviously, you know, dumping Jack Johnson improved uh, the Penguins' defense just uh, by <laughs> by subtraction, addition by subtraction there. But um, yeah, I think Ruido. Uh, should have been given the opportunity there, and and I don't think they needed to sign uh, Cody Cece, but I loved the acquisition of Kapanen. I know we had to maybe give up something for a guy um, that we previously had to give up <laughs> to get Phil Kessel, so uh, I, I love having him back. So uh, some good moves, some bad moves, I think, for, for the Penguins. Uh, in San Jose, uh, they added uh, a, a very familiar piece in Patrick Marlowe. He comes back to San Jose after being traded to Pittsburgh last year for a shot at the Cup. Look, I, I think this team, I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I don't know really what happened here for, for this team uh, last season. The goaltending was a question mark, uh, but that, that wasn't the only problem that they had. Um, so I think they're right there to, to be actual contenders. They addressed the goaltending by signing Devin Dubnik uh, and, and bringing him in, uh, or rather uh, a trading for Devin Dubnik. They didn't really have to give up much to do that either, and, and it was future picks in, in 2022. So from that standpoint, if you're potentially trying to win now, who cares about, about those future picks? Ryan Donato <laughs> comes in, Matt Nito as well. Um, so uh, a, a couple veterans here in addressing some concerns, and, and I think some a good piece of business for the Sharks. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I think I think they made a bit of a mistake in terms of the net mining. They got two thirty-somethings in the back end there, and and really maybe this is a shot across the bow for Martin Jones to to get him to wake up and say, you know what, we gave you the reins for the last several years, and and his fortunes have gone south in the last uh, two seasons for sure, and maybe that's why they bring in Devin Dubnik. But really, there's a lot more work to be done to call this team a contending club. Patrick Marlowe, too, the acquisition for him, it signals a shot at for a player to break one of the NHL's most hallowed records, and that's total games played by one Gordy Howe. And that's probably the last record that Gordy Howe has of, of real significance. And you're talking about Mr. Hockey here. And uh, should Marlowe play out the whole campaign, one of the longest standing records, one of the ones that I thought would never be broken, will be broken by a guy who's had a couple of cups of coffee both in Toronto and Pittsburgh. So uh, interesting to see how that plays out, AJ, going forward. St. Louis, this is a team that's a year removed from winning the Stanley Cup, so you figured they still have some key players on this roster to take a run at things. They certainly lost their captain in the offseason, and Alex Pietrangelo will get to his situation shortly, but they turned around quickly and acted proactively, rather, to get Tory Krug signed up, picking him up off the Boston uh, free agent heap and uh, signing him to a big dollar deal there. Uh, Kyle Clifford goes over to add some bite from the Maple Leafs. He didn't fit in here despite his desire to remain a Toronto Maple Leaf. They couldn't fit him in under the cap. Steve Santini and John Gillies round things out. John Gillies, long considered a top goalie prospect, might be a guy that eventually challenges for a position there as a backup to uh, Bennington, but uh, right now he's third in, in the pecking order. But curious to see how Krug fits in here. Uh, he was a real linchpin in Boston's power play and gets a chance to do the same thing in St. Louis. But his issue for me is trying to stay healthy, AJ, and be really worth the contract that he signed. Yeah, absolutely. Injuries are always going to be the, the big concern here. But I, I think it was a great uh, great call by them when, when it became clear that, that Petrangelo just wasn't going to be an option to go out, get Tory Krug, get him locked up. Uh, and and set yourself up there to to really not lose a, a ton. I you know I, I do think Petrangelo is the better of the two players. If if all things being equal, I think I'd rather have him. 
But when you have to factor in the, the cap situation too, I think the amount of maybe lost production versus the less pay that you're giving Krug versus Petrangelo, I think is a net gain for St. Louis overall. Uh, we get to the, the defending Stanley Cup champions here. And, uh, you know, Tampa had uh, a couple minor deals with, with Andreas Borg, uh, Borgman and Chris Gibson brought into the fold. Um, but really the thing with them is, is who is going to be the guy that leaves? They waived Tyler Johnson. He was a free pickup, but his contract is such that nobody even wanted Tyler Johnson for free. Um, so it, that's, you know, he cleared waivers, went unclaimed. A- at this point, they might have to consider burying that contract in the minors. Um, that gives them a, a little bit of space, but but uh, not not a lot. So I think they're still going to be looking for a trade partner. Uh, you know, Johnson's name has come up. Alex Kalorn, I think, is a name that's come up as well. Um, so they, they got to do something here. Um, I think they're going to be hard pressed to keep the, the core really to, you know, maybe not the core, uh, the core is Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat, but, um, and Hedman on the blue line, but they lost Shattenkirk. Um, so they I, I think they're going to be hard pressed to repeat, uh, given the, the cap situation. Yeah. And don't forget Steven Stamkos was injured in the, in the playoff run. Didn't play much of a factor there, and he's still listed as being out to start this season. So uh, with their captain uh, in, in on iffy terms, and they're going to lose a, another key asset somewhere on this roster to get camp cap compliant. Teams are waiting for the the Bulls to realize that it's going to cost them their first round draft pick, I think, is what I'm hearing too, AJ. So they're way over the cap, and, and the teams know that they have this club over a barrel, and somebody's going to step up uh, eventually when they say realize they're going to have to give up that top pick and, and maybe another prospect to uh, to get rid of the com- contract that is causing the issue to get under the cap uh, limit that they face. In uh, terms of the next club, that's that the Maple Leafs, they were one of the more active clubs in the offseason, maybe the most active among teams that you might consider contending clubs as we look ahead to the season. Some of the names that they added are familiar ones. Joe Thornton, Jimmy Vesey, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, but then they also, and uh, TJ Brody, but then they added Travis Boyd for some bite and Miko Leighton, an interesting prospect from the KHL. He was the defenseman of the year in the KHL last year, AJ. So he factors into the Maple Leaf situation and along with Brody should solidify the top four on the Blue line and maybe make him make it the most improved aspect of this team. But I'm really curious to see where VC Simmons and Thornton fit in. Uh, Thornton more uh, for his leadership, but VC and Simmons are going to add some size to the forward ranks and Simmons particularly some some real physicality. Well, we talked about this uh, the other day, Paul, about how uh, if you had Thornton and Spezza maybe 10 years ago, 10 years younger. Uh, what a center group this would be to have Matthews, Tavares, Thornton, and Spezza. But I do think both guys still um, have plenty left in the tank. Spezza and Travis Boyd will probably flip uh, some minutes here. I would expect Jumbo Joe to be to be a full-time uh, third-line center. Uh, and that, I think, will be good for, for guys like Kerfoot and, and VC to play with a, a player of his caliber and his experience. Um, but for me, the best signing uh, of all the ones you went through was definitely TJ Brody. Um, I think he'll be a great uh, acquisition. I expect him to see some time on the on the power play, uh, maybe with the second unit, maybe with the first unit, but uh, really some some good uh, some good acquisitions there. And and you mentioned letting in a, a very intriguing option to see how he can you know bring his talents over to to the NHL level. Uh, so we'll dive into Vancouver. 
Um, they brought in uh, uh, Nate Schmidt on the blue line to kind of step into a little more experience. They do have a bit of a young blue line. Um, and then they brought in some netminder that'll be, um, you know, maybe a factor here. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding here. Uh, Braden Holpe uh, comes in. I, you know, I, I think by all accounts, I, I would imagine he'll be um, given the shot to, to be the number one guy there. Although Thatcher Demko is the heir apparent for them. So we'll kind of see what they do in terms of a division of labor there. Uh, but I, I, I like the addition of Hopi. Um, you know, we talked about Markstrom and, and being, I think we were both a little surprised Vancouver didn't make a stronger run at him. But if you really think that Demko is going to be the guy for the future, then to get Braden Hopi on a two-year deal, you can expose him to Seattle if, if that's the way you want to go, um, is, is, is really an intriguing op- option. And, Look, there are going to be a, a ton of netminders playing in new places. We've got uh, at least one more to talk about, but guys that are going to look really weird wearing a different sweater. Braden Holpe is one of those. Corey Crawford we talked about is another, and we'll talk about King Henrique in just a minute. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see how this works out. I mean, I said earlier on that losing Jacob Markstrom uh, was uh, going to be a tough blow for Vancouver, but they did the next best thing that they could in acquiring Holtby. I think he's got to look at his situation and say, I had a down year in Washington that probably cost me uh, the chance to stay there. And uh, he took a bit of a hit in terms of the salary cap that he could have got and signing for a relatively modest $4.3 million over the next two seasons. So he has a chance here behind a very strong Vancouver team to rehab that career and uh, get an uptick toward uh, looking at his next deal, which should come after the 21-22 season. But uh, Vancouver, a deep team all around, should be a contender in uh, for the crown in the, the all-Canadian division with the addition. I like Nate Schmidt's addition, solidifying the top four on the blue line as well. Uh, Vegas, this is another team like Tampa, AJ, that really has a bit of an issue in terms of cap compliance. They sit right now over the cap by about a million and a half or a little bit less than that, but they still have to make a move to get under that cap. And some of the names that you're hearing being bandied about imply that they are looking to make more than one move going forward. I mean, you hear Max Pacioretty's name being thrown out, but then it looks like they've pulled that off the table and are looking at other ways to, to remain cap compliant. But the big reason why they have the cap issue is they went big in terms of signing the big fish in the offseason. That's Alex Petrangelo joining the fold here and uh, a contending team, no question, but they're right now in cap hell. And I wonder if you see a way out for them, AJ. Well, I mean, the part of the problem, I talked about this with Montreal, they've got $12 million committed to their two netminders in Marc-Andre Fleury and, and Robin Leonard. And, and they're, you know, Fleury's name has been bandied about as, as a potential trade uh, trade spot there. They don't have the benefit of exposing anybody to the draft, so they can't save any cap space um, from that standpoint because they're not required to, to expose any players. And so it'll be really interesting to see uh, what, you know, what shakes up. Look, a couple of the pieces, uh, Tom Igno- Thomas Nosick's name came up as someone that a lot of teams are targeting as far as being included on a trade that would have them take on cap. I should also note they have a pair of second round picks um, because they have New Jersey's second round pick next year. And so uh, they have theirs and and uh, New Jersey's. So that's a position of strength for them. They could potentially trade one of those picks away. Um, honestly, with how good this team is and the fact that New Jersey's struggling, if I were them, I'd try and trade their own pick and keep New Jersey's. Um, 
But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, they're pretty much everybody's name has come up at one point or another on this team, um, with the exception of Petrangelo as a guy that might be traded uh, in order to get them under the cap here. So it'll be interesting to to watch. Um, next, we'll dive into the the Washington Capitals, and again, the the new goalies and new places being the theme. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist will join uh, the Capitals uh, after his. I, I, want to say off the top of my head, 15 years uh, with the Rangers. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him there, and especially considering you expect him to take on a number two uh, responsibility. Ilya, Sorok- uh, Ilya Samsonov, rather, is expected to be kind of the guy and, and you know really take over the reins with Lundqvist potentially being a, a 1B or, or a number two. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch, again, how the goalie workload shakes out. They added Justin Schultz uh, on the defense as well as Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Van Riemsdyk more of a, a depth option. Schultz could be uh, the number two power play guy. John Carlson obviously isn't going anywhere from that number one group. And then also Paul Ledoux. So really uh, a bunch of defensive guys that they added in, in, a, in a netminder as well. Uh, not a lot of changes to the forward group uh, here. Pretty much the same guys that they've had for the last couple of years. Yeah, they've really pointed at the defense, a point of upgrading the defense to bring this team closer to being a really high-end frontline contending club. They're always a contending club, but really this closes the gap on some of the other teams, I think, because we know they're loaded for bear offensively up front with the likes of Ovechkin, Batstrom, uh, Kuznetsov, and Oshie and company. So they didn't really have much work to do there, but I really like what they did bringing in a veteran like Schultz and uh, signing Dill- Brendan Dillon late last season to a multi-year deal. Uh, Michael Kempney's an underrated guy. Van Riemsdyk, a serviceable third-pairing guy, so really like the moves on the back end in the last couple of seasons there. It'd be interesting to see what the King has left in the tank and the Nets, uh, but Samsonov will get a chance to apply his trade and uh, point himself toward a real big payday at the end of uh, this season, which is the last of his entry year uh, circumstance, so he gets a chance to be uh, the lion, the lion in the in the tandem in the Nets there. Uh, so I'll be curious to see the goalie split that we might forecast once the serious shooting starts in a couple of weeks. AJ, we round out our look at the 31 teams with Winnipeg Jets, and uh, they brought back Paul Stastny into the fold. He's familiar with the Winnipeg area, uh, having been born there uh, earlier in in his, very early in his life, obviously. But uh, so uh, he uh, is surrounded by the likes of Derek Forbort, uh, Nate Thompson, Dominic Toninato, less name recognition types, but Stastny's a guy from Western Canada who should fit in very nicely in the Winnipeg Mets and uh, rounds out uh, the offense, uh, filling in that key second line role that has been a bit of a question mark for the Jets for the last few seasons. Really, things didn't work out for this guy to the length, expect, uh, my expectation in Vegas. I thought he was going to be a lock to be the number one center, but he didn't hold on to that job when surrounded by uh, really good talent there. But I think he slots in better as a number two guy and, and uh, should thrive uh, back in Winnipeg this season. I look for big things from Paul Stastny this season. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing that Paul Stastny gives them is the ability not to have to move uh, Blake Wheeler to the, the second line center. They can put him back on the top line with Mark Shifley and, and uh, you know, Kyle Connor and, and really kind of shores that up for the first time since Brian Little uh, got hurt uh, way back when. And so they haven't really had a, a good solution for the second line center. So I think it's a great move, a great acquisition by them. 
AJ, that rounds out our look at the 31 teams. In the coming weeks, we're going to learn more about the makeup of the U.S.-based division. So we'll begin our divisional previews next week with a look at the seven-team Canadian loop. And you mentioned it's uh, it's uh, one that's loaded in the first six slots. I think we can both pencil in, maybe pen in the Ottawa Senators to finish last. But <laughs> I still think the Senators are going to surprise some of the other clubs in uh, north of the border from time to time. Have you got any final thoughts before we sign off on the maiden voyage of uh, the 2020-21 season? Yeah, just, you know, excited to be close to having hockey back, um, especially because we've been in this kind of weird, um, you know, pause period. There haven't been really signings, trades, like it, it was very busy right when free agency started and, and it really has dried up the last several weeks. There hasn't been a whole lot of news just in general um, coming out of the league. So excited that we're getting close, obviously bummed. Um, that we have to have, you know, a shortened season here. It looks like 56 games, but hey, shortened hockey is better than no hockey. So I will definitely take that. And then hopefully, you know, by having the uh, abridged season this year, we can go back to being a full 82 game uh, in the following campaign. And hey, we'll have 32 teams at that point, which uh, that's great too. Yeah, it's all good. But one thing that I'm going to miss out on is the live experience. I, I love going to the games, as you know, and uh, I won't be able to, uh, at least for the first half of the season, it looks like. But maybe things open up toward the latter part. It remains to be seen. But uh, in any case, we're looking forward to hockey happening soon. And uh, even if there's no fans in the stands, I find it great enjoyment to see the games being played on the ice. And uh, we look forward to that starting in a couple of weeks' time. In the interim, you can look forward to our divisional previews as usual in the next couple of weeks, with uh, the Canadian division being first up next Tuesday. And uh, that wraps up this episode of PuckCast with Statsman and AJ, RotoWire's signature fantasy hockey podcast. I'm grateful for Roto, for the faith that RotoWire has put in us, AJ, for five straight years to get on this gig. Uh, look forward to it every Tuesday with you, pal. In the meantime, uh, to our listeners, please remember, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.